Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. Join us as we continue our study through the book of Acts, Luke's account of how the Holy Spirit breathed life into and empowered the early church to fulfill the Great Commission after Jesus' passion. Amen. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. And good morning. Good morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 this morning. Acts chapter 17. So grab your Bible, grab your phone, grab your app. That is where you're going to be. And we are going to look at um, one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. It's when Paul goes to Athens um, and preaches the gospel in a very hostile environment. It's the gospel to the intelligence of the world, the intelligent people. So how do you communicate the gospel in that context? Join with me in reading Acts chapter 17. Uh, We're going to start in verse 16. It says this, now when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said to him, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of strange foreign deity, divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we know this new teaching that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Lord, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you uh, sent Paul into a culture that, was, uh, that wasn't really interested in what he had to teach. A culture that was interested in, in doing nothing more than uh, sending and receiving information. Um, a culture with many of their own blogs, with many of their own ideals, with many of their own uh, versions of what was right and wrong. And in the midst of that culture, you stuck Paul to speak for you. And Lord, Paul and his culture um, is very much like ours, where there's no small limits of, of viewpoints and ideas and, and versions of reality and what's true and right and wrong. So, Lord, I pray that as Paul went into his culture, we would go into our culture. And, Lord, by your grace, we could reason with people and show them that the truth of the gospel is true. It's real. It's solid. It's something that you can have hope in. In a world full of idols... There is a true God. So, Lord, I pray that we would learn from Paul this morning. And, Lord, there's some of us here that have never put our faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray you would open our minds to you this morning. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love to watch masters at work. 
Whatever, whatever the context. Um, I love to watch amazing artists. I was watching YouTube videos, and so that's where I watch my amazing artists. Some people go to art. I'll just watch them on YouTube. Uh, and, and I remember this one artist in particular, and they were one of those speed drawers. And so they could, they could create this painting or this drawing with just epic speed. And, and this one individual was, was doing this painting and, and going through and creating all of these pictures. And at the last moment, she spun it, went to right side up, threw some glitter on it, and Boom, that amazing picture was there. I love watching masters at work, or, or maybe it's an amazing mu- musician. I love watching amazing musicians. I mean, the skill and precision that they have on the guitar or the harp or whatever instrument they're doing, just watching them perform is absolutely immaculate. It's amazing. That's why I love watching the Olympics. It's some of the best of the best. We are in the season of the Winter Olympics, and some of you are excited about that. Some of you don't know what those sports are because we live in Texas. But I'm going to show you one, one, or I'm going to communicate one Olympic sport that I absolutely love, and it's, it's uh, the Olympic short track speed skating. You see these individuals that travel um, 35 miles an hour or more on these blades that are made of high temperature carbon steel that range in length from 40 to 48 centimeters. That's 16 to 19 inches for those of you who don't know the metric system. And are about on a 1.1 millimeter thick blade. And these individuals on these small blades, and you can watch them, they're leaning as they go around this. And it's kind of like watching NASCAR. Maybe that makes more sense to you. Because there's going to be a crash, there's someone that's going to fall over, but there's also going to be some people that win, that navigate around these people. It is absolutely amazing to watch the power and the precision in their performance. It is amazing to behold. I love watching masters at work. And what we have here in Acts chapter 17 is we're going to watch a master at work. Paul, the apostle Paul, was one of the most influential men in history. He was a master in his own day, and perpetually, even to this day, Time Magazine um, listed the top 100 most influential people in the world um, throughout, throughout generations. Number one on the list, Jesus. He made number one. That's pretty good. Number 34 was the Apostle Paul, one of the most significant contributors um, in the world, but also in the Christian faith. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians the world has ever seen, puts his faith and hope and in, in, in large part his thinking in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Martin Luther, who started the Protestant Reformation, came to faith in reading the writings of the Apostle Paul. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, came to faith reading a commentary by Luther on the, the book of Romans written um, on the writings of Apostle Paul, all of the the world, and especially all of our faith, has been impacted deeply by the words and the work of this man. And we're going to watch the Apostle Paul in living color. You speak into a culture, the gospel. And there's several things I want us to get from this really just survey or look at what Paul, what Paul does. One, one is just to, to marvel at him. There's so, so much ingeniousness in his argumentation. But more than that, I hope some of us will be convicted to say, man, I, maybe I haven't thought about God in that way. And thirdly, I want to give us a template 
I want us to be people that are equipped to go into our culture and be able to reason, be able to talk to people about the gospel in an intelligent way, in a thoughtful way. Because increasingly our culture is becoming more and more antagonistic to the Christian faith. And, and the, the, the old ways of saying, well, the Bible says it, so I believe it, and you ought to believe it too, it, it's true, but it may not be enough. There may be reasonableness that we need to have as a Christians in order to show them the truth, to demonstrate the truth, and that's what Paul does in this context. There's so much wisdom that we can get from the Apostle Paul. And so the, this morning, I want to look at um, these pieces within how Paul argues to the Athenians. First of all, he looks and listens. Secondly, he speaks respectfully. Third, he speaks reasonably. Fourthly, he speaks truthfully. And lastly, he speaks for a response. He looks and listens. He speaks respectfully, reasonably, truthfully, and for a response. So let's look first of all at a snapshot of of Paul's missionary work. Acts chapter 17, he's going to go to three major different locations. We're not going to cover the first two location, locations he, he travels to, but I just want to give you a highlight from um, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. He traveled um, through um, Amphilius to Apollia, and so he's traveling in, in the nation of, of Greece in these different areas, and there's a famous Greek road that he's traveling along, one of the major uh, Roman thoroughfares that he's traveling along. And he came to them and was persuading some people in these, in these areas. Um, other times, they're not so much persuaded. In fact, they, they take one person out and they beat him, uh, and it's rough. And, and they say of this, the pit, men who have turned the world upside down have come here as well. So everywhere Paul goes, he begins preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, and there's really two responses. There's some that believe, or there's riots that break out. It's, it's kind of fun to be Paul. It's going to be exciting no matter what happens. And then he goes to this next city um, in Berea. He, he starts preaching the gospel. Some people hear what he's saying, and then they begin studying the, the Jewish scriptures themselves, saying if these things are really true. And what's fascinating is each place that Paul goes, he tries to contextualize the gospel and communicate it in a way that will make sense to this culture. And because Paul is, is basically uh, has a target on his back, every city he goes to, someone's looking to either believe or pick a fight, um, his, his followers or the, the people that are alongside Paul that are helping him in this missionary process, they pull him aside and they're like, hey, you need to go take a time out rest because everyone's trying to kill you, and you're not, I mean, it's going to be exciting, but you're not going to last long if you keep on this, this path. And so they put him down for a period of time in, um, in the city of Athens. Uh, Athens wasn't part of, of the journey that he was supposed to be going on, but he, he took a moment, he took a rest in Athens. But Paul couldn't stop. <laughs> You couldn't stop him. You couldn't shut him up. He's, he's looking and he's there in Athens and some, suddenly he's provoked within him. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he's waiting for uh, the people that were alongside him to come and, and get him to go to the next place. His spirit was provoked within him and he saw that the city was full of idols. He says that he, as he's sitting there waiting in Athens, there's something he feels. And oftentimes, I'll say this, the reason we don't speak like Paul speaks is because we may not feel like Paul feels. See, as Paul is looking at this culture, there's an emotional reaction that he's, have, that he's having. 
He says, as he's looking at this culture, he says, I'm seeing them, and I'm seeing that something is in their mix. And he says, I'm seeing a city that's full of idols. One writer tells us that this time there were roughly 30,000 gods in Athens. One Greek um, historian writes, uh, one of the ancient historians, he wrote that uh, it's said that it's easier to find a god in Athens than a man. So this is a country or city literally filled with idols. And I'm going to show you a couple of the, uh, the temples that are in this area in Athens to different idols. And we'll just kind of run through them here quickly. Um, this is a temple of Athena. It's in the Acropolis. So this is where, where Paul is uh, in the area where Paul is going to speak soon. It's a temple to Athena. This is the temple to, uh, of Athena to Nike. The, uh, you, you may not know that, uh, the god of victory, uh, the, goddess, uh, the god of Nike. Um, there's another picture of the sanctuary of Athena in, uh, in Delphi, the home to the oracle, prophetic oracle of Apollo. Here's another one. Um, this is of the uh, Acropolis. This is where Paul is going to speak here in a moment. And those are just a couple of examples of the gods. And so as, as Paul is looking at all of these gods, his heart is struck. And so he starts having conversations with people. And he says that he, he went and started reasoning with some of their philosophers. The major philosophers that were there in that day were the Stoics and Epicureans. Um, the Epicureans were basically atheists. Uh, they, they denied God's existence. Uh, they denied in a life after death. They were materialists and and. And because they were materialists, they basically had this kind of major statement, um, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They were what we would call modernly existentialists, believing that you should just live for the moment. It's what kids said about a decade ago, YOLO, right? That's kind of there, you only live once, just live your life. That's the language of the Epicureans. Let's just eat, drink today for tomorrow we die. So there's the Epicureans and there's the Stoic philosophers, they were followers of Zeno, and they were pantheists. They believed that, that there was a many multiple gods out there in the world. And as he's seeing all of these people, he begins having conversations and reasoning with them, talking with them. He looks and he listens to what they're saying. See, every culture has its own idols. Every people has their own idols, and in some cultures, they're more obvious. If you were go to if you were go to India today, uh, you would interact with Hindus, and you would see you would see a, a myriad of Hindu gods that you could worship in that culture. Um, the, every culture, though, has their own idols. One of my favorite books on this is a uh, is by an author, Tim Keller, um, called Counterfeit Gods. And what he describes is this: He says all of these gods are just manifestations of deeper human needs. All a God is, all an idol is, is a manifestation of someone's deeper need. And so you have the goddess Aphrodite. She's the goddess of beauty. And so if you wanted beauty, you would go make sacrifices to Aphrodite so that you could become more beautiful. Ares was the god of war. And so if you're about to go to war, that was your deepest need. I want victory in battle. You'd go offer sacrifices to, to the god of war that he would give you victory there. Artemis was the god of fertility. So if you wanted to make sure to have children or be successful in, in business, you would go to Artemis and offer sacrifices there for fertility and for wealth. Um, Hephaestus was the god of craftsmanship. So if you wanted to be great at your craft, you would go offer sacrifices to this God so that he would give you victory and health in that area. 
But then Tim Keller writes this. This is fascinating. He says, our contemporary society is not fundamentally different than any of these ancient ones. Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its own priesthoods or totems and rituals. Each one has shrines, whether office towers or spas or gyms or studios or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made in order to procure some blessing of the good life or to ward off disaster. What are the gods of beauty, power, and money and achievement? But these same things that have, that have assumed mythical proportions. And what he's saying is this, and I think this is a great insight. He's saying what they worshipped as an idol, we worshipped in our own created ways. What they worshipped as a manifestation, a physical idol that they worship, we build our own stadiums to worship those same things. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the human heart is an idol factory. So if you take out God, what you don't have is an independent person who makes their own decisions. What you have is, a, is someone that is going to put something else in that center of worship. And if you're not going to worship God, you're going to worship something else. And we, our culture is filled with idols. We had a TV show that used to be popular called American Idol. I mean, we just right there, like so obvious, right there. What is the hope of American Idol? That I have some talent within me that someone else will validate that will make me worthwhile. And so I will spend time and energy and money and effort so that someone says, you're okay. Or sexuality. That I want to be seen as, as attractive. I want to be seen as beautiful. And so, and so I will put myself out sexually or, or pursue those things so that I can feel valuable. Or athletics. I love sports. I was an athlete back in the day. It was fun. Loved it. Loved sports. But we spend billions of dollars, billions of dollars building stadiums to cheer on teenagers. To cheer on teenagers. And we're like, well, that's silly. We spend billions of dollars to cheer on 19 and 20-year-olds. And when our team wins, we feel elated. And if they lose, we're like, fire that coach. I hate those people. This is my color. You know, like we have so much. We spend so much money on this. And see, there's something that every idol, there's some it that you're seeking to get. Every idol is showing us there's an it. And here's the tragedy. Every idol that we create takes, it doesn't give it takes from you. It will not give to you. It could be fame. Every Gen Z person hopes to be famous. They want to be on TikTok. They want to be on YouTube. What do you want for a career? Doctor, lawyer? No, no, no. I, I want to be a TikTok star. And here's the tragedy. Uh, Cynthia Heimel, um, she writes about the emptiness of fame. She says, I pity the celebrities. I really do. She lists several of them. He says, once they were perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. Is awful. I think that when God wants to play a rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily as you realize you want to kill yourself. 
She lists all of these celebrities that got exactly what they wanted. And when they climbed to the top, they realized the emptiness of everything that you, they received. Fame is an empty God. Or love. I mean, we pursue this. We see this all over our culture that love is the highest goal. And you want to find love. So go to match.com. Go to all the different options in our modern thing. And love, love with that significant other will meet your deepest need. But, but there's, in, in, his, in this book, he, he talks about um, a particular author that talks about apocalyptic romance where the love partner is the one you seek to meet all of your deepest desires, all of your deepest needs. And, and the problem is that person can't carry the weight of that. I mean, just think about it. Think about if you are going to get engaged with a person and you said what you really wanted from that person. I want you to meet all of my needs whenever I have them. I want you to satisfy all of my desires for wealth, for hope, for joy, for peace. I want you to Meet every one of my unmet desires. Here you go. What would you say, ladies, to the man that says, I want you to satisfy every desire I have or could ever imagine? What would you say? I don't know that I'm capable, right? And men, I mean, have you seen a man? Like, ladies, they'd be like, I want you to meet every one of my emotional needs, every one of my thoughts before I even have the ability to express them. I want you to be able to meet every one of those needs. Anticipate them and meet them. Do you think he can do that? He just wants to be out in the garage, like, messing with a screwdriver. Like, he has no idea how to do that. But our culture so shows that love is the highest ideal. And once you find the right one, then all of your problems will be fixed. The problem is you just got to find the right one. And look at all of our kids' movies, the movies you grew up watching from Disney. Beauty and the Beast, Princess and the Frog. Those are for men. What do they show you? You are ugly. Until some beauty comes in and says that you're worthwhile. Ladies, you have them too. Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, what is it? You are empty. You are in a coma on the ground, right? (laughs) Until some stranger comes in and kisses you and tells you everything's going to be all right. And we watch these shows and we say love is the highest, but... But love will never, love with that significant other will never meet your needs. That's not what they were designed to do. Or identity. I will create an identity and I will validate myself. The problem is when the identity you're hoping to chase doesn't pay out. You can't be the successful business person. You can't achieve that. You can't be the athlete because at some point everyone has to hang up the cleats or maybe you'll get laid off from your job. It will not meet your deepest need. Or right now in our culture, it's freedom. On Ellis Island, we have the Statue of Liberty. And freedom in our culture means that no one can tell me what to do. Ever. But as a Christian, that's not Christian freedom. Christian is being designed to be who you are meant to be under God. Not self-directed but under the authority of a benevolent, loving Father, God. 
That's true freedom. And, and Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I came to give you freedom so that you can be all who you were meant to be. But all of us create these different gods. And we say, basically, I want you to meet my deepest needs. We all have idols. And if you want to share the gospel effectively, you have to know the idols of the person you're talking to. What is it that gets them ticking? What are they worshiping? What is the ultimate in your life? And Paul, as he's looking at this culture of idols, he starts asking questions and talking about Jesus. And, and, and as he's speaking about these strange deities to the, to the Athenians, they're like, I don't understand what you're saying. And so they, start, they pull them aside and they're like, we're going to move you all the way to the Areopagus. This was the seat of, of learning it was the seat of also where they had um, uh, judges. This was also the place where all of the Greek, w- the wisest Greek people lived and existed. From Aristotle to Plato, Socrates, Pericles, they all spoke at this major area. And the Athenians gathered there and it says that they, they always loved to learn a new thing. It was the Reddit of their day, right? Everyone wants to have, but it was more than just that. It was, it was the center of culture. Although um, Greece was no longer the, the, the superpower of the day militarily, they were the mental superpower of the day. This is where the smartest and wisest people gathered. And I can imagine Paul coming to this moment, how intimidated he might be. I mean, imagine that you've got to share your faith right there at the center of Washington, D.C., reasoning there at Washington, D.C., or going in the midst of a bunch of Harvard professors and and defending the faith in that context. He's brought right to the center of of this place of, of intellectual powerhouses, and he's not given time to prep. They just pull him in and stick him up there. And how is he going to speak? I think we get so much wisdom from Paul and how he speaks in this moment. The first thing that Paul does when he has this space is that he speaks respectfully to them. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Isn't that interesting? He starts by being respectful. He doesn't say, you've got all these idols and I, will, I got a thousand problems that I'm gonna levy at you. No, he just says, he says, I see that you are very religious. He speaks respectfully even when he disagrees. See, what, what, <clears throat> what, what needs to happen in the dialogues that you have with anyone is that you respect the person. Because the, the goal is to win a person, not an argument. The goal is a person. So he speaks respectfully to them. Um, there's one uh, UN secretary, secretary general of the United Nations, and what he does this is he, he tries to speak respectfully and to find moments of commonality. And that's the second thing that Paul does. It's not only does he speak re- respectfully, secondly, he looks for moments of commonality. He says, for I have passed along and observed objects of your worship, and I've also found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he speaks respectfully, but secondly, he, he speaks reasonably. He looks for commonalities. He looks for, for bridge building in this moment. 
<clears throat> he says, there, there's something, there's parts within your belief system that, that we're going to agree with. And so he's looking to build <clears throat> this bridge. And this is, this is so important because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care that you are so wise if you're just a jerk face. Be nice and show that you actually care about their culture. <clears throat> you can't drive a 10-ton truck of truth on a one-ton bridge of respect and relationship. So speak reasonably, build the bridge. And as Swindoll in his, his commentary says this, he uses the familiar to introduce the unfamiliar. There's familiarity, first of all. He says, I, I've noticed your objects of worship, and there's one that says, to an unknown God. And so you, there's a belief, there, there's like a, a piece of belief here that we can build a bridge across, and, and that God that you don't know that might exist, I mean, they've got 30,000 gods, and they're like, in case we missed one, let's put one to idol right there. He says, that one you worship in ignorance, this I want to tell you about. And then what's fascinating is that he adapts his speech to the audience. If you read Paul in other moments as he's speaking to different people, um, oftentimes he'll reason from the scriptures. Oftentimes he would go to synagogues and then he would open up the Old Testament scriptures and from the Old Testament scriptures reason his way to Jesus. In this moment, because the, the Greek people didn't have a, a basis in the Old Testament scriptures or the Bible, he starts from a different place. Because they didn't have the Bible and understanding of the Bible, he starts with something that was familiar to them. And let me encourage you, if you wanna share the gospel with someone, start with something that's familiar with them. With athletes, use athletic imagery and examples, right? With farmers, use farming Im imagery, something that makes sense. With scientists, use scientific language. Francis Collins, um, the founder of the Human Genome Project, the map DNA structures, he's a Christian and actually speaks to scientists, and so he uses scientific language to help communicate with them. Paul, in this moment, is gonna quote two of their philosophers, Two philosophers that they believed in and, and, and held to their teaching. One of them was Epimenides. Um, uh, the, the second one was Aristotus of Soli. He's going to use their, their own writings to introduce, hey, there's a moment of commonality, but there's also moments of contradiction. There's where your teachers are going to speak differently than what I'm saying. And so he bridges this gap he speaks respectfully. He speaks reasonably. I'm going to reason with you. But then he speaks truthfully. Verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Being that, God is, that we are God's offspring, we ought not think of ourselves, think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by human imagination. He says that as, as he walked through 
He says, I want to tell you about this God you don't know. He says he created everything. And that's what we believe about God. That God created everything. There was one God that created everything. And, and, and there he, he made everything for, for a purpose. And he's not served by human hands. God isn't served by you. You don't need to offer sacrifices to God. You don't need to offer money to God. He is perfectly self-sufficient. And in creating everything, he was perfectly self-sufficient. This is why the Trinity is so important. That God eternally existed, always existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in a perfect, loving community. God didn't create humans because he was lonely. He was fine. He created humanity so that we could enjoy this loving, life-giving community. That's why God created everything. And he made from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on the face of the earth. From one person, Adam, in the garden, everything else came from him. And he appointed the times and the boundaries of your habitation. He knew exactly who you would be, when you would be here, and he did that for a purpose, that you would grope for him, you would seek for him and find him. See, God knows the number of hairs on your head or the ones you don't have. He knows the family you came from. He knows what you like, what you dislike. He knows every TV show you want to watch. He knows everything about you. He appointed exactly where you would live. He brought you to this moment at this place. He set it all in place. And there's a reason he sets you in this place, so that you would seek for him and find him. See, God's not playing hide and seek like an evil dad. He's playing hide and seek for you to win. I have four kids. When they were younger, we used to play hide and seek which was always a fun adventure. So when my kids were like three and four, when you hide as their good daddy, what do you do? You don't hide in some place they can't find you because it will terrify the children. (laughs) You hide in plain sight. So when I first started playing, it would be so obvious, like there'd be a a, a stand or, or a couch or something like that, and I would hide just right here. You can't find me, you can't find me. Count to two and then come find me. One, two, and then they'd find me. But I remember one time I actually hid like in a closet. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I was like right there in the closet. I hid and at first, uh, I believe this was my my oldest daughter. She's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. You know, like just freaking out. And I'm like, babe, I'm right here. It's okay. But she's like, oh my gosh, it was so bad. It was so long, you know. God's not playing hide and seek like that. He's in plain sight. He's in plain sight. The God that made everything is standing there and he's not hiding far from you. He's hoping that you'll reach out for him and grab him and find him. He's not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and, breathe and have our being. He's quoting their philosophers. We, he is here, he is near, just like you would want him to be. We're his offspring. We're his kids, and he's not far from each one of us. See, he says to them, I, 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 there's, there's a belief that you have about gods and how you serve gods. That's not the truth. None of those gods you create will meet your deepest needs. 
God doesn't need to be paid. In fact, God meets your deepest needs. Blaise Pascal, famous scientist of yesteryear, says every, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every human being that cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. And this is the God that you need to know. He speaks truthfully. And he says that God has appointed a day in which he will judge everyone through his son. He says there's a judgment day. There's a moment when you and I are going to stand before God and he's going to ask you a question. What did you do with my son? He doesn't hide from the truth. He's respectful. He's reasonable. He's truthful. And lastly, he speaks for a response. He presents the gospel in a way that they can hear and he's hoping they'll respond. He says, now, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him in believing, among whom were Dionysus and Arapagil, oh gosh, the name, okay. Several people joined along the way. As you are sharing your faith, it's not just information, it's transformation. It's not just that I want to hear a couple of details to give to you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, to receive. Because the same God that created everything also created you and wants you to know him. As you're sharing your faith with someone, you actually are expecting them to respond. It's an opportunity I remember several times, the first time I started sharing my faith, I remember the first time I ever shared my faith was on a mission trip to Mexico with my church. And we were using this thing called an Cube, and we walked through the process, I share the, my faith, and we get to the end of it where I had gone through the whole gospel that Jesus lived a perfect life we could not. We broke the world because of sin, but he is restoring the world in right relationship with him through the death of Jesus Christ. But not only did he die, he rose in victory and he is promising eternal life to anyone who would believe in him. And I'm sharing that to this this, um, high school kid through a translator. And I get to the end and I'm just like, okay, I did my part. I'm I'm ready to leave. And the, the translator, this wonderful young woman next to me, she was probably 20 and one of the best evangelists I've ever seen in my life. She goes, um, I think he's ready to respond. And I'm like, to what? <laughs> She's like, I, I think you should invite him to believe. And I was like, okay. And, and she was so sweet about it. I mean, she could have just done the thing herself, right? She, I was, and I said, you can have faith in Jesus Christ and have confidence in your relationship with him for all of eternity if you simply believe in him. Would you like to pray and receive Jesus Christ? And the kid's like, yeah. He's like, my little brother does too. And he pulls his little brother over and the two of them stand there together. And I'm like, okay, we're gonna do this moment. People are willing to receive and believe if we're willing to look and listen, to speak respectfully, to speak reasonably, reason to our faith, 
Speak the truth. Don't be afraid. And give an opportunity to respond. It's funny as I read some commentators that some people um, uh, say Paul didn't do a good job in this moment of speaking the truth. Which is so funny to me. I'm like, he went into this countercultural moment, spoke one time, and people are believing. I think that's pretty good. I want you to go somewhere, speak one time, and see if anyone believes. I'm like, I'm going to give Paul a hall pass. I think he did pretty good. And I think by God's grace, the power is not in the word. The power is in the God of the word. The power is not in the person. The power is in God who is moving in people's hearts that can change them. And every time you preach the gospel, speak the gospel, share your faith, there's gonna be three responses. Some mocked, some were curious, and some believed. That was true for Paul. That's gonna be true with you. Some are gonna mock you. You're gonna share what you believe and some people are gonna sneer. They're gonna be like, well, that's because you're not smart. It's because you haven't read a good book. Let me tell you about something else. And they're gonna mock your faith and and expect it, know it. Jesus says the same thing. When the word goes out, there's gonna be hard soil. That's fine. Expect it, know it. But you be loving as you communicate. You don't, don't be defensive. Some are gonna mock. Some are gonna be curious. They're gonna wanna hear more. They're gonna be interested That is a person to have a relationship with and build more trust over time and give them time and space to make their own decision. We don't rush people to faith. We say, hey, consider some more. I'd love to talk more with you. Be reasonable. Some were curious. They wanted to learn more. And some believed. Some people are going to say, yes, that's true. That's what I've been waiting for. That is the solution to my dilemma. I want to believe in that Jesus. And the same is true here at this Sunday morning. There's some of you, as I share about the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God who wants to know you. Some of you hear that, and you're already talk, thinking through all the arguments against. You're mocking it personally. And that's fine. No shame. But let me just encourage you, go on an intellectual journey to see if these things are true. Don't deny it just because you don't understand it fully or because you have understood parts of it, but you haven't really dug. Some of the most brilliant minds in the world believe in this resurrected Jesus. You can dismiss all of them, but study first. Learn to see if this is true. Don't just be a mocker. Some are curious. Some people here have never put their faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and you're just wanting to learn more. Let me tell you, you've come to a great place because no one here is gonna shame you. No one here is gonna belittle you. On your journey, we wanna encourage you to grow and seek and we have community groups, we have men's groups, we have women's groups, we have disciple maker groups. We wanna help you grow. So whatever questions you have, come. We wanna help you on your journey. And third, some of you are ready to believe. Our prayer team is gonna come forward as our band comes forward. And our prayer team is here for this specific reason. We want you to believe in Jesus Christ. And some of you have never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, today is the day. Some of you are building idols in your own heart And by God's grace, he's showing you that that idol can't handle the freight of your heart.
or your desires. That idol you will only pay out for. It will never meet your need. Some of you today, God's breaking that idol open. Your job won't save you. It will not die for you. You will die for it. It will never give you life. It can't be your idol and your end all be all. Your spouse is amazing. They're a gift of God. They cannot meet all your needs. There's only one who can meet all of your needs and from that place of love, you can extend love, but you can't pull it from this person. No idol we make will ever make us whole. You need Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith alone in Christ alone, today's a great day. For others of you, um, there's people in your life that you have been praying for or you're wanting to share your faith with and maybe you're a little timid about it. Well, come forward. Come meet with our prayer team. We wanna pray and give you some confidence, give you some encouragement as you think about that friend or family member or neighbor or maybe you just want someone to pray for that friend or family member or neighbor alongside you. We wanna do that with you. For others of you, there may be just some particular burden you're carrying and you want someone to stand alongside you and and pray with you. That's why our team is here. So we'd love for you to come forward and respond as God leads you. We have one song to close. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the example of the apostle Paul of how he went into a culture that was not all that open to his faith, but he spoke the truth in love. And Lord, I pray for each person here that we hear this word how you intended. Some of us need a strategy to share our faith. Lord, I pray that we get that today. Some of us need... um, clarity on our faith. We've never actually believed in you or understood what you are like. And so, Lord, I pray that that person would would have greater clarity today. And Lord, I know that some of us have loved ones or friends or neighbors that we want to share our faith with. I pray that we would get courage today. Lord, however we need to respond today, I pray that you would give us the courage to step forward, to walk in faith, because you are the God who is wanting to be found. We love you. Guide us by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Tomball app to find community in the body of Christ.